Hey, this is Carrie from Wrap Your Head Around Silks. This is the Expecting Aerialist podcast. Thanks for being with me today. If you check the show notes, there's an awesome free gift for you there. The mini course by Wrap Your Head Around Silks. Super easy to get on to the student portal. Got really cool little tips for you guys. Totally free. Check me out there. And today I'm so excited to introduce you to Dr. Kate Van Dam. She is a physical therapist from the Boston area and she's just awesome. I loved, loved talking to her. And we talk all about the pelvic floor. We talk about tight pelvic floors, which is very common in our population and how that can lead to painful sex postpartum. And just kind of the excuse my English, mindfuck that pelvic floor problems are after baby, regardless if you've had a C-section or a vaginal birth. So I'm so excited for you guys to hear this interview. Let's get started. So this is Kate Van Dam, and I found her off the Ariel Mamas Facebook group, right? That's how I found you. Yeah. I find... So many amazing, amazing guests on that because it's just such a, you know, it's such a niche. You are not an aerialist yourself, correct? Correct. But you're kind of in in the circle of, in the bubble of love, in the circle of love because uh, yeah. you work with pelvic floor. So if you could just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you as a mom and then you in your career and what you're passionate about. We'd love to hear it. Yeah. Again, my name is Kate. I am a pelvic floor specialist. I'm actually an occupational therapist by trade. Um, And with specific training in pelvic floor, I've been doing that for the last five years. Um, I own a private practice here in Boston, Mass., And my own movement background or movement bias, as I like to say, is I came up in the yoga world. So I've been a yoga teacher for about 10 years, um, started when I was really young and then kind of started to explore Pilates a little bit more, but I'm really drawn to all kinds of movers and creative movers. Um, and so that's really how I started treating aerialists, which has been just such a joy and a delight. Um, and my area of specialty in my career is chronic pain. Um, so I treat everything, you know, I treat a lot of postpartum, but I really love treating um, chronic pelvic pain, chronic back pain, chronic hip pain, um, as well as all of the other kind of bread and butter of what we do, incontinence, prolapse, all that good stuff. Let's talk about how your career and how you have all this knowledge, because this population, Mm -hmm. bunch of super fit, Aerialist women who are either interested in having kids, mm-hmm. have kids, and uh, super type A personalities mostly, yeah. I would assume. I, I assume that about all aerialists. We are a little bit of a obsessed. I mean, you can't really be, you can't really do something really difficult, I feel like, if you're not slightly obsessive about it, which is education, which is in anything. Yeah. Most doctors to me, most PTs, a little bit like that too. So our population, very fit, Mm -hmm. wants, you know, really struggles with losing our 
you know, our vessel Mm -hmm. for the amount of time that we're pregnant and postpartum really struggle with that emotionally, really struggle with that physically. Say, even if we say it's not that hard, like it's hard, you know, mine's yeah, it's really hard. I also had um, a lot of trouble with sex right after the baby. Like it was Mm -hmm. super painful. I want to talk to you if you could speak on that first. Let's talk about that first. Can you talk about kind of like, why that happens and what's going on inside of our bodies and how common that is and then what we can do to kind of help that help that situation out yeah so first I just want to acknowledge that you're right um it's definitely been my experience that the aerialists and just other general movers and performance athletes, um, it's really hard to lose your vessel uh, postpartum. It's really hard to have your vessel change, even from even just from a natural course of, of aging, which of course is a different and slower beast. And I think pregnancy and postpartum is much more dramatic. Um, and that can feel traumatic. And I I think that there's, a, again, a lot of like really good well-intentioned folks who are like, it's okay. You know, like it's don't, you know, don't try to get your body back. And I listen, like I had an eating disorder for many years. Like I, I understand that perspective. And I also think I just want to like give everyone out there listening a pass to be like, it's okay to be frustrated. It's okay. Like, it's okay to be like, I really miss the performance that I was able to do and and deliver. And, and that's valid. And that's a real experience. And I think the more we just give that space to breathe, the more that we can work with it instead of fighting against it and pushing down. Um, And there's a lot of like middle space to be had around that. I think when we talk about sex postpartum, kind of that same thing comes through, right? Of like, I miss the before times. I'm comparing my postpartum body to, you know, a pre-pregnancy body and a pre-pregnancy sex life. And there are a lot of things that go into that. So I work from a very biopsychosocial model. So what that means is, yeah, I'm looking at your physical body. I'm going to do, you know, a transvaginal, transrectal evaluation. We're going to check all of that pelvic floor. We're going to see what's going on. We're going to see what's, you know, what's going on with load transfer in terms of like how you're moving body, you, you know, how you're moving body weight when you walk, when you do any kind of move in the air, et cetera, right? How are you moving your load around? And also let's think about what's going on in your mind. What's going on in your personal life? Are you really struggling because of the pandemic or, you know, are you really struggling with a loss of sense of self because you're on parental leave and not, not working right now, um, et cetera. And that is all really salient when we think about like sexual wellness. So I don't know if you've ever heard of the book, uh, come as you are. It's by a woman named Emily Nagowski. I haven't, I will put it on my list right now. Please do. It's, it's really fantastic. She is, uh, I believe she's sex psychology researcher. Um, she's her PhD. And she's so smart. And she really, and the book really speaks to how a lot of sexual enjoyment is 
a headspace, you know? And so, you know, just right off the bat, if you've had a kiddo and they're waking up all the time and they're not sleeping and you're sleep deprived, which by the way, is a form of torture, like legit. Um, and you know, and they're crying and that's really wearing on you and yada, 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 the list goes on and on. Well, maybe you're not in the psychological space to be physically enjoying sexual activity right now. And that has very physical and real implications. So that's just like one big piece of it that I'm just going to kind of like put a bookmark in and then move to the side. And then so from the physical aspect of like, okay, why does painful sex happen postpartum? There are a lot of things we can be thinking about, and particularly in this like active aerialist population. Um, a lot of my patients who are aerialists experience something called, um, or just, we don't really call it this anymore. This is my old school brain. It's called hypertonicity. So like a very tense, um, tighter than we'd love to see pelvic floor. So some people might have heard like the trampoline analogy of like, you want it to be strong, but also really resilient. Sometimes my experience is that, you know, because we have these very high level precision athletes who are like going upside down and doing all these fabulous things in the air and they're prioritizing, you know, and like aerialists are also prioritizing like safety first, right? Like you don't want to break anything, especially when you've got silks and yada, yada, right? So you just have to execute and make the movement happen. What can often happen is we get a lot of, I see a lot of like butt clenchers and that can go over into the pelvic floor. So we get a lot of like just constant chronic tension that happens in the pelvic floor. And this can be asymptomatic. So you might not be experiencing symptoms prior to pregnancy, prior to birth. And then, oh my God, I have to stop you. Yes, you there. are talking to me, ah! literally talking to me. Bean, I have to turn this down because I can hear your music. <laughs> Kate Van Dam, you are talking to me. <laughs> I have so many things that line up to get this butt clenching mm -hmm. hypertonicity. I have had IBS my whole life. IBS D. So real. So real. So I'm like trying to keep it in my whole mm -hmm. life because I just have like watery poop all the time and I can't control things. And it's so emotional because Ugh. you feel like you're out of control and you're a perfectionist and you're also Chinese and it's a bad combination. Yo, I am your SM <laughs> friend over here who's also had some like, mm, got to get to the bathroom right now. Mm, didn't get to the bathroom. Yeah. Well, yeah, like you're mapping out all the bathrooms everywhere you go and yeah. you know how to get there the fastest way. So a whole lifetime of that. Mm -hmm. And I'm a dancer, so I'm in leotards and tights like and in ballet class mm -hmm. my whole life. So butt clench number two. Yep. And then I become an aerialist. And so it's like pelvic floor strength is like the holy grail. Of course. And then I have a baby and I don't have a vaginal birth because she ended up coming out of a C-section. Great. And then, and then, you know, oh, surprise. I have pain during sex right after, like, yeah. oh, who could have guessed that? And so, yeah, I have my pelvic floor PT and yep. she, Dr. April Douglas, and she's like, well, luckily you're not too high toned down there, but she asked me to clench and I was, you know, not uh, contract, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. And I did. She's like, oh, A plus. 
<laughs> she asked me to relax and then nothing happens. I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah. What do you, what do you even, what, what? Yeah. What's that? What does that feel like? What is, I don't understand. She's like, it's, you're supposed to be able to also relax. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Does she use the elevator analogy? Does she tell you about she, going up and down the elevator? She didn't use that. She used the analogy of a um, flower blossoming out of Ooh. my vajayjay. Love lie. Love that. Yeah. I yeah, like that one. It, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. You're speaking. You are speaking to me. It's like, <laughs> I, it's like I'm not even going to record this and put it out to the entire universe because it's just about me. It's, it's like, literally me. No, but it's not literally you. That's the thing. It's not. It's so many people. And I think the other thing is that a lot of people who have C-sections um, are like, well, what the, f- what? am I allowed to, can I curse? Is oh, that- do it. Okay. Do it. You're also I'm in my earphones. So my daughter can't oh, hear you. Great. Um, so a lot of people who have C-sections are like, what the fuck? I like, I, I had a C-section. I shouldn't be having pain. I shouldn't be having like pelvic floor issues. And it's kind of like, mm, love you. Sorry. Like, unfortunately, no one gets a free pass. Um, and so C-sections, they're great. They're necessary, you know, and like, I really don't believe there's any superior way to birth. Like I deeply to my core believe that. Um, and so the thing is, right, like, I think a lot of people, I've worked with a lot of patients who have planned C-sections because they think they're going to avoid any pelvic floor dysfunction. And they're still in my office um, because it comes with a whole different, right? Like a C-section or any kind of birth doesn't negate whatever your body was doing, however many years you've been living before you had a kid, right? So Yeah, I think I think that we just don't take into account, everybody thinks that the pelvic floor and the vagina could just get all messed up because a huge baby comes out of it. Right. And it, it had to, I had to get, pre- it's so weird because like I am one of those people who just read a lot about it. You'd think I'd know this. And I didn't, I didn't realize it until after because I'm like, oh no, my baby went out the side door. Right. So totally Go should ahead. be fine. Yeah, it wasn't. And I also have incontinence, uh, mm-hmm. urinary incontinence yep. getting better. Great. But yeah, you know, I have friends who didn't have a vaginal birth and they don't have any of that. And I am like WTF. My daughter's sitting right here. She can't hear me. (laughs) WTF. Like what's happening? And I think that that's just about awareness and having real talk because. Totally. And I think it's also about like, you know, so I've taught a bunch of anatomy to any from like yoga teacher trainings to just in my practice to I taught like community college for a long time. And I come back to the phrase, bodies are different. Bodies are different. And like, period, end of sentence, like all of these experiences are different. And the more we can just have a clear and transparent conversation about that and reduce the shame around that, the better off we'll all be. Like shit happens and the more we can just like come to terms with that, seek support and embrace support, um, the better off we are. You know, like I see a pelvic floor PT because 
I got stuff too. And that's fine. Like I can't, I cannot work on myself. That's my big thing. I don't work on myself. I don't work on my kids. Like period, the end. I think we all benefit from an extra set of eyes and that's great. You know, like that's really good. But coming back to the whole like C-section thing, you know, with a C-section, you're going through seven layers of connective tissue and, and visceral tissue, right? So there's fat, there's your cutting through the bladder sometimes, um, all sorts of delightful things you have to get to, to get to the uterus, right. To get baby out. Um, so there's a lot of tissue trauma that can go along with that. And just bait and on a basic like scar tissue mobilization, which I'm sure you've done tons of, um, with April's care, like you have to get that tissue moving for, the whole of that like front body line to work effectively, which by the way, includes your pelvic floor. Right. Um, but coming back to the butt clenching thing, it's like some people who on the other end of the spectrum. So we've got like our performers who kind of constantly clench their glutes and their pelvic floor to like make magic happen. Right. And then we've also tend to have like in the non performer world, most people's glutes are really, really weak. Um, so if I'm not treating like, and even honestly, when I am treating a performance athlete, sometimes their glutes are not proportionally strong enough to the rest of their body for the tasks mm. that they're doing. And uh -huh. so when we're pregnant, if you think about like the physics of having a bigger front of your body, well, the back of your body needs to hold that up right? To get straight. So what often happens is people clench their glutes instead of building the appropriate amount of strength in your, in their glutes, uh -huh. which is a different thing. And then by proxy, they're also getting into this funky postural pattern, which, which can just like trickle down and wreak absolute havoc on their pelvic floor. And then we wonder why you're having pain with sex. Well, if you think about your sacrum, so that bone, like that little triangular bone that's coming down, um, at the end of your spine as a fulcrum and your glutes are behind it and your pelvic floor is in front of it, right? If you're constantly clenching one end, something's going to get out of whack, right? So like the, that seesaw is going to get out of whack. If your glutes aren't strong enough, it's likely that your pelvic floor is going to get kind of tight and compressed. And the only way we can work on that is to, or one of the ways we can kind of more sustainably work on that, I should, I should rephrase, is to engage the glutes, right? Kind of like even out that fulcrum. So I feel like I've been bouncing all over the place, but, um, but there's a lot of, no, you're not, you're not bouncing. You're not bouncing. You're doing great. I'm so excited about this. So basically what you're saying is that, and tell me if I'm just trying to simplify this. Yeah. So because aerialists, we talk about muscular imbalances all the time because our training is unbalanced. We're always pulling up. Sure. It's not a grounded activity. We're always using some muscles. Other muscles are sleeping. Mm -hmm. And so this painful sex or this incontinence or whatever, your body grows, your body stretches, you have weight going forward, your hips like to, what is it, anterior? Yep, anterior, anterior pelvic tilt. Mm -hmm. 
anterior pelvic tilt, which I'm still trying to, which I'm still trying to correct on myself. Okay. And what you're saying is, is that these pelvic floor issues that come from pregnancy is just another. It's not we stretched the vagina out too much. It's it's a muscular imbalance. Exactly. Right. It's yes. it's 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 not the thing that everybody thinks it is. I think. I 100% agree. I think most people postpartum are like, oh, crap, you know, like, and this in and of self is like kind of a trope, right? People are like, ah, crap, I got incontinence or I have pain or like, I just have to do more Kegels because it's all loose and been stretched. And it's like, you said it perfectly. It's a muscular imbalance issue. And so what that can look like can take many different forms. But generally speaking, yeah, like there's some kind of imbalance where, Either the glutes are not strong enough or the pelvic floor is kind of holding on for dear life or, you know, we're not working that transverse abdominis, like those deeper core muscles, et cetera. But there's some kind of imbalance going on where basically your pelvic floor can't rest. It can't come back to neutral. So going back to that, you know, we can talk about many different analogies, but that flower opening and closing we just can't get full range of motion. And I think old school pelvic floor, you know, way of thinking was you just have to, you know, go in there and release the tissue. And that's important and that's good. And there's absolutely a place for that. And I do plenty of that. I love manual therapy. Um, But then there's also this bigger picture, especially when we're talking about, you know, I always look at like, well, what are you doing with your time, right? And if you're an aerialist, you're doing a lot of really interesting, fantastic things with your body, right? So like, we have to zoom out and get less myopic and think about, okay, what is this person's body doing on a regular basis that is contributing to this muscle imbalance, right? Because, you know, you could... It's the same thing as a massage, right? Like you could go in and get a massage and it feels great and you feel amazing afterwards. But then what's going to happen? You're going to go back to, you know, you're going to go back to the gym. You're going to continue to do the same patterns that you do. And then you're going to wonder why it hurts again. And so what I like to do is get out on the silks with people. I am terrible. I can't do a dang thing. But, um, but, uh, but, you know, I'm looking at other people, I'm having them do their movement patterns that they're doing in their regular life or something that is going to elicit their symptoms and modifying appropriately. Um, and then, you know, and so, so really taking that whole body approach, it's a slower approach, but it's a more sustainable one. And so when we come back to like, why does sex hurt so much and why don't I have that? resiliency, um, that's a huge contributor of just like thinking about the imbalance. But then there's another piece of that, right? There can be some other things going on that I definitely want to bring up around some hormonal issues at play. So um, you may or may not have heard that like estrogen or so, so breastfeeding can decrease the level of estrogen in your body. Um, and that basically throws your vagina into a postmenopausal state. So it thins the lining of the vaginal wall. And, you know, from a clinical perspective, this is very like not 
research based, but what I feel in my body as a provider when I'm working on people is almost kind of like a ring. You know, we talk about there are three layers of muscle to the pelvic floor. And when we're in that more superficial area, um, that first layer. So about, if you think about like one finger knuckle deep, right. So not that far deep. Um, there can almost be this, this ring of constriction all the way around. And that is a really common situation for folks who are doing breastfeeding or even extended breastfeeding. Um, that lack of estrogen can, can contribute to some of that. So it doesn't mean that you have to stop breastfeeding. It's just something to be aware of and take a proactive step around, right? So maybe that proactive step is just being like, oh, okay. I know this is contributing to part of what's going on, right? Maybe that's using like a vulvar moisturizer or maybe it's using estrogen cream. It's definitely something to talk to your gynecological provider about. Um, But that can also be a contributing factor. The other thing I think is worth mentioning um, that is, you know, interacts with muscular imbalances, but is more related directly to birth injuries. So we can play this two ways, you know, so with a C-section, that scar tissue can create some fascial restrictions that believe it or not, even though it feels like it's far away, that tissue is all really connected, uh, especially neurologically to the anterior pelvic floor. And so I have a lot of folks who are like, yeah, I had a C-section. What the fuck? Why am I, why am I having painful sex? And we work on their scar and actually that really moves the needle for them. Um, so that is definitely a contributing factor. And then if- uh, Kate, yeah. by the way, I'm going to, I'm just going to stop you. You Please. are speaking straight to me. <laughs> First of all, when, okay. So yeah. I saw my doctor, she's like, you know, she gave me that. She's like, you got to stretch. You got to st- do like, you got to stretch it out. Sure. So she, you know, either my thumb or this vaginal, whatever Want- it's called. And it felt like a ring and it was only painful there. <laughs> only painful. Everything else fine. was kind of fine. Yep. And I was breastfeeding. So many of my friends said, well, when I stopped breastfeeding, it started to get a little easier. Mm-hmm. So that was very, very true for me. Mm-hmm. Very true. And the scar situation. Okay. My scar glides pretty good because my daughter likes to step on me right I'll there. <laughs> Right. And it's, you know, over time. And I've told this whole story on another episode Mm -hmm. and it's hidden somewhere in that episode. It's not like it's in like the title. But basically, I tell my story about how I go to my high bean, my energetic body worker, and I have some right hip issues. Mm -hmm. I've gone to PT. I figure out what it is. And he's like, I think that your scar tissue, right, where the incision is, is pulling at your hip and at your mm-hmm. pelvic floor. And it's, and it's creating some like compensation. So you're having pain in the hip. Yep. And I have the incontinence, right? Yep. And so he was definitely like trying to loosen that scar tissue. I was, and then of course I have gut issues cause mm-hmm. I have SIBO now on top of IBS. Mm. So it's like, we are physical bodies. So my digestive system yep. is already whack. And now I have this scar tissue. Now I have, I I have, by the way, I have a shallow hip socket on the right side congenitally. I just found that out. Sure. So you put the butt clenching. Yeah. You put all the gut issues. 
you and gas issues. Feet. Yeah, and a C-section scar and completely tight, like, I can't relax my pelvic floor. And you've got a perfect storm of an issue for a podcast like this. So- totally. <laughs> Totally. I'm like, we really need to talk offline about what we're doing here. Um, Right. And the other thing I wanted to say is I am so grateful for people like you and you are becoming, I I have to say, I say this to every single one of my guests probably because I'm so amazed by everybody. Like this podcast, I thought I was like the reasons I started it just are so far removed from what I'm getting from it. Mm. Like, it's just like, Wow, there's so much knowledge out there and it's not necessary. Sometimes it's in a book. Sometimes it's in a blog, but it's like these conversations are just just fascinating. Yeah. Hi, Bean, I know. I know. It's just fascinating because, oh, hold on, Kate, one second. Take your time. What do you need, Bean? What do you need, my love? Hi, Kelly. You want to talk to Kelly? So I have... Uh, a business partner. Her name's Hi. Kelly, and she Hi. always thinks that I'm talking Hi. to Kelly. That's very sweet. Is, What's your daughter's this name? Kate, this is Kate. Her name's Willa, but we call her the Bean. <laughs> hi. And uh, yeah, hi, Bean. Mama's almost done, Bean. Can you? You don't want the phone? Oh my god. Hungry. She's hungry. Okay. Mm. All right, Bean. Hold on. Mama's gonna get you food, but I'm almost done. All right. Mama's almost done. <laughs> Um, so the thing I wanted to say is that I basically got pelvic floor therapy generic version Mm -hmm. because I wanted it to be covered by my, like, super not expensive health insurance. Yeah, I get that. So I went and she was wonderful, but she's not you. She's not my friend, Dr. Sue, who's also an aerialist who has a specialty in circus. She's not Dr. Emily Sherb. She's not Dr. April Douglas, my other friend who lives in San Diego, who are just, the specificity is just drilling down, down deep into the stuff. So I got like the little sticker electrodes, you know, around my butthole. And she's like, contract, release, make the thing go, you know, make the ball go higher on the chart. That's why you got the the flower because they have the flower on the biofeedback machine. Oh, they have that too. But this is, but the person that I, that a person that I went to that was covered by insurance is not even anybody that I've spoken about. Okay. It's some, somebody else. Mm -hmm. And so I went and in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to get what's good out of this because there is positives. And then I'm going to take all of my knowledge from all of my wonderful conversations and my really, really smart friends. And I'm going to, and I'm going to marry the two Mm -hmm. and I'm going to heal myself. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not going to get all this from the person who's getting covered by my health insurance. Yeah. Unfortunately not. Yeah. Um, no, I'm not. And the thing is, is that luckily I have a lot. I know a lot of people. Yeah. You got and, resources. And I'm, I've got resources. And because I've got resources, Everyone else does now, too, because they can listen to these podcasts. And even further, they can email me if they want to, you know, get even more information. I can help contact. I can connect people. Yeah. So, but the people out there, maybe if you're listening to this podcast, now you have these resources, too. So you don't have to worry about it. But, you know, it's hard because if 
if I was just working with that person and I have another PT also covered by insurance who's working on my hip, who has given me, again, a wonderful 50%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's valuable. I would, it's valuable, but it's like, if I just did what those two PT people gave me, yep. I would end up too tight. Yes. That is so, yeah. I'm so grateful you brought that up because I feel Listen, I've worked at, I've, I've done the outpatient gig and, um, you know, I did 40 minute, like back to back treatments. I don't know how long your, your PT sessions are, but it's really not long enough. Um, and so the reason why I chose to go out of network private practice was just like, I know I can give my patients more. I know I can give them more and I just can't deliver in this model. Um, And now I feel like, you know, when you become my patient, like we partner together and I'm really looking at you, the whole you and referring out when necessary. If I think you need to see a nutritionist for your IBS or whatever, which by the way is super freaking common. Um, You know, I really like to do interdisciplinary partnerships and often, you know, not always, right. But often, right. Like your hip and pelvic floor, they are they're not far from one another, right? Like they are no, neighbors, right? No, like doing <laughs> they're not thing. far. <laughs> you know, like you want someone who's not going to look at you piecemeal. And I think that's really important for folks out there listening. Like find a provider that will look at you as a whole person. If you're going for pelvic floor therapy, they should not just be doing internal assessment. Um, you know, you really want someone who is looking at your global movement patterns. I've you know, I've treated a ton of folks who, especially postpartum, who like, oh, we've got some, like, we've got a uh, too tight pelvic floor. Actually, I think the driver might be coming from your thoracic spine because you have no movement up there, right? And that's just kind of, and we're just seeing it and manifesting it in your pelvic floor. There can be a ton of different things going on that are contributing to the situation and really kind of fueling the situation. Um, and you just want someone who, you know, there are so many different fabulous educational perspectives um, and they're all great. You just want someone who cares and who's going to take the time and be smart and admit when they don't know um, and reach out for for support. And I think that's what really everyone deserves postpartum, um, which unfortunately uh, in our healthcare system is is challenging to come by, I think. Okay, you are my new favorite person. <laughs> like literally, you're you're my new favorite person. I, man, and you're not even an aerialist, but you're like totally, you're totally, you're totally the right person. You're totally the right person to talk to this population. Um, thank you. My daughter's, my daughter is having a conniption. I just satiated her probably for the next five minutes with peanut butter, which is always a good trick. Okay. Uh. So do we call you Dr. Kate? You can call me Dr. Kate. Yeah. Okay. So Dr. Kate, um, I feel like we really did good with this, with this, um, little part of the topic. I, I really am very impressed also how we kind of stayed on point, even though we like went off a little bit, we went but then came right back a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but, but came right back to it. 
So here's my other question. I was going to ask you to if you wanted to do it now, but my daughter's not going to allow that. She apparently knows when an hour is up. <laughs> she like, I don't know how her internal sense. No, sometimes I'm recording and her papa is with her in the other room and like right at like 57 minutes, she'll start banging on the door. I'm like, nice. How do you know? <laughs> she knows. So I'm wondering if you would honor us and talk about um, your, your eating disorder at another oh, time. Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Yeah. It's a 13 year journey. That has very much, I think, I think to do with, um, you know, so again, not an aerialist, but a yoga person, um, very much to do with the difficulty of um, being a mover and being very, you know, emotionally, dare I say, like spiritually connected to movement and then also knowing what the line is between healthy movement and not healthy movement and bodies, et cetera. But yeah, we can absolutely dive into that at another, at another juncture. Yeah. I would love to schedule that with you because, and we could just do a two-parter for Dr. Kate um, because I hadn't thought about it, but that topic is so important for this community. It's, it's really important. So important. And I think, I think particularly um, pregnancy and postpartum, you know, like I was, I was so like in the best shape in all of, in all of the senses of the word, right? Like emotionally um, I was in great shape and physically I was in great shape and I wasn't restricting and I wasn't binging and all of these things right before I got pregnant. And then I got pregnant with twins and it was like, okay, well, in order for this, this pregnancy to be stable and safe, like you have to gain like 60 pounds. And I was like, oh, I'm going to need to call my therapist. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. But we let's, let's definitely dig into that at another time, because I think it's really, really salient when we think about movers and aerialists, um, pregnancy and postpartum and that drive to just like, quote unquote, get back. Um, yeah. It's complicated. And it deserves nuance. Oh, my goodness, Dr. Kate. Okay, so then you guys um, get to look forward to that because I'm fascinated. I myself did not struggle with an eating disorder, but for sure I have a degree of dysmorphia. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at yourself in the mirror and what you're seeing is not what other people are seeing. Yeah. Because I've, I've been staring at myself in a mirror since I was four and a half. Totally. Like, that's a lot of time. Yeah, it's a lot of time. Yeah. And it's a lot of like, you're not only staring at yourself in a mirror, you're staring at everyone in the room. Right? Yeah. And um, yeah. it's that whole yeah. like comparison is a thief of joy thing. Mm -hmm. um, that's so real for like everything body related. And then also just like postpartum pelvic floor related. You know, it's kind of like, or, and I mean, basically everything, right? It's like, well, why isn't my kid doing that? Or like, why isn't my body like bouncing back mm -hmm. or whatever? And it's just like, bodies are different. You know, we're all on our own journey and that's fine. Yeah. And, and, you know, I was a skinny little kid, but I was also in a white community. I'm a Chinese girl. Sure. And they make you line up by height. Mm. 
to make it clean and even. Yep. And it just it just creates like issues. And you're not even meaning to, you know what I'm saying? Like no one's necessarily meaning to create this for you. So for me, I, I was tiny little girl, right? Tiny, tiny girl on the end of the line. And then there's some girls who are just a, a little bit bigger. And you got this like light blue leotard on and pink tights. And you can see every, every shape of your, your skin. It's just like, it's. It's just a recipe for disaster. I mean, yeah, when it comes to that, I, I appreciate my dance training my whole life. I, I would never go back and do anything and, and not have it. But, it you know, it's complicated. I think that's the hashtag. It's complicated. It's totally, yeah, hashtag it's complicated. It's really also, like, interesting to think about our own experiences as kiddos and then think about, you know, like, you have a daughter, I have a daughter, yeah. And yeah. Yeah. It's just very like, how do I want to create an environment that is body neutral for, for both of my kiddos um, and support that, you know, and really like stick to that and support that and, and see them through their own experiences of just being in their body. Right. And like, and I think that's what it ultimately comes down to. Like, why do we, why do we dance? Why do we do aerial? Why do we do yoga? Why do we do any of this stuff? Right. Like, it's like, ultimately, hopefully the goal is to find joy in your body. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Like not to fit a standard or to look a certain way. Like, the goal, I think, you know, I can only speak for myself, but coming from a much healthier, balanced place, like when I move, it's, it's for joy, you know, like it's, it's because I like doing it, even when it's hard. And even when I'm, you know, more doing training type stability things, it's because I want to be good at it because I like it, you know, right. it helps me feel embodied. Um and so like, how can we create experiences for ourselves as adults and as like postpartum people and pregnant people, right? Like, and then also for our kids that like, aren't really fucked up. <laughs> yet. Yeah. Yet. Exactly. Yes. Yet. 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 Um, thank you so much, Dr. Kate. You're so welcome. I've split up today's conversation so that we could really stand point with the painful sex topic, but we also got into a conversation about her as a mom and her process with her twins. So here is that part of the conversation. Let's get started. How did you get through the sleeping at the beginning when one would fall asleep and then the other would wake up? How did you? We've been spending weekends at my parents' house um, since they were like three weeks old. And my mom just, oh, okay. Yeah. And so in the beginning, you know, my, my daughter needed more like medical support. And so we would take my daughter overnight and she would take my son and now, you know, they're both healthy and great and fine. And so she just takes the monitor, um, which is phenomenal. And we sleep, which is very needed. Oh my goodness. Thank God for the grandparents. Thank you, mom. Yes. Yeah, seriously. Um, Lifesaver, I started recording after you explained that you're a mom of twins who are two, mm -hmm. going to be two in February. Yeah. So I just wanted to catch our listeners up. Carrie mentioned I am a, I'm a mama. Um, I got spontaneously pregnant with twins, or they call it a spontaneous twin conception when you're not expecting to have two little ones in there. 
Um, Wait, so just that you're surprised you you're surprised that you're pregnant and then you're also surprised that you have twins. Is that what that's called? We were not surprised to be pregnant. We were trying to get pregnant and it was like, I thought I was going to have a hard time getting pregnant because I actually have, um, I have a thyroid disorder. And so I was kind of like buckled up for this long haul and first, first round trying. Oh, wow. Got very lucky, very lucky. Um, and was having some pain. Do you mind if I ask you how old you were at that time? I was 30 when we conceived. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What made you think you were, it was going to be difficult for you? Yeah. So I have, um, I have a pretty common autoimmune disorder called Hashimoto's and it's a thyroid. Oh, okay. I've heard of, yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah. 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 And so I had really struggled, um, with a bunch of different things metabolically and hormonally. And I had been told by, you know, some providers that it was going to be a challenge for me to conceive. And so when we decided that, you know, we wanted to have kiddos, I was like, all right, you know, I told my husband, I was like, it's going to be a minute. So let's just kind of like get this process rolling and, you know, we'll see if we need to use interventions, if that's necessary, whatever. And yeah, it was like not even the first intentional cycle it was the one before that we were like oh, I don't really care right and um, yeah yeah and uh and then lo and behold I was you know having a little bit of pain I thought you know maybe maybe something was wrong so I got a very early ultrasound and I'll never forget it my husband was sitting on the other side of the room and you know she's doing like a sonogram over the belly and she's like so you know, I just, I think we need to do a transvaginal ultrasound just so that we can, we can see a little bit more. And I was like, well, do you see anything at all? Just assuming, you know, I, I was told I was going to have a hard time. I assumed I miscarried and she was like, well, I see two. And I looked, oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was like, <gasps> and I looked over, um, on my husband, I swear his, his jaw was on the floor. Um, <laughs> I'll never forget so yeah, so that's what they call a spontaneous twin uh, conception, as opposed to like, you know, when folks are um, using IVF, you know, sometimes they'll intentionally put two embryos in. That was not our experience. So um, yeah, that really like kicked my butt in a fantastic way. And I think made me a much better provider for uh, perinatal folks. Um, because it was a very uh, high risk, high intervention pregnancy. Um, and really just kind of was very humbling, uh, in, in a wonderfully informative way. I came in very high and mighty and had a lot of beliefs around, you know, like I want, I was like, I, you know, I'm like hippie yoga earth mama. I wanted like a home birth. And then, you know, as soon as you enter into the world of multiples, like that all goes out the door, you know, and, and you just want like, safe and happy babies. So it was really, it was a wonderful experience in that sense of um, going through that and really being able to sympathize and empathize with a lot of my clients who are dealing with all kinds of different situations, but knowing that there's really like not a, you know, there's no, there's no best course of action. It's really about like, what is the best course of action for you in the situation that you're in today? Yeah. Okay. This is why I don't like to plan my interviews because I want to hear all about your birth process. If you 
don't mind telling us. Like I said, I had a really high risk, uh, really kind of crap ass pregnancy. Um, so I had hyperemesis, which is where you are vomiting all the time uh, for the first 16 weeks. So I was vomiting. Um, definitely some folks have it worse, but I was vomiting up to about six times a day was my average. Um, and I'm not like, I'm not a puker. That was, that's not my normal. So that was really uncomfortable and not, not a joy. And then around, um, I had a few good weeks and at 22 weeks, my cervix started to thin out and I was put on activity restrictions, which was really incredibly challenging. My, my maternal field medicine specialist who, which is a type of uh, obstetrician that treats higher risk pregnancies, looked at me and he was like, I want you to brag about how much Netflix you are watching. Like that's your goal from here on out. And I hadn't, you know, at the time I had, I hadn't given notice to my day job. I was expecting to be working for at least another month, if not two. Um, and it was like, no, you're, you're going home today and you're, you're hanging out on your couch right now. Um, and that was really tough because I wasn't able to do a lot of the movement that I was used to doing and really kind of emotionally and mentally depending on doing, but I was able to do a lot of kind of deep core stabilizer work that I could do on my back. You know, some of that like very basic, simple, a lot of like breath work, um, a little bit of getting onto my hands and knees as I could tolerate. And that was really helpful. I was actually able to work on some like diastasis while I was pregnant and kind of manage that while I was pregnant. So I never had an issue postpartum. Although as, as April has pointed out on a previous episode, a lot of that is just luck and genetics. Um, but and you I, had twins. So how did you avoid getting a diastasis? Yeah. So it's like incredible. Yeah. So here's the deal at 25 weeks, I started noticing a larger separation. Cause you know, like I'm a, this is, this is the issue when you know too much. Um, I was like self-testing myself all the time, right? And I got to like about a three-finger separation um, at my umbilicus. And I was like, not today, Satan, not today. So, um, <laughs> started, um, so I started doing a lot of what I call like corset-type maneuvers. Which are, uh, yes. Yeah, like deep core, a little bit of like internal oblique, um, activation to start getting the TA and the, and the internal oblique going and just start tensioning the linea alba a little bit more while I was pregnant. And I was able to do it in supine, which was really key because I couldn't spend too much time upright, like not even a lot of time sitting. Um, and lo and behold, it started to correct. Um, and I was wow. able to just kind of generate that tension really early and proactively. And, and let's be clear. I also think I just kind of won the genetic lottery around that, but it was able to come back and I was able to kind of maintain it at two and then postpartum, you know, I have like a negligible one, one finger separation at this point. Um, and then I like, I'm almost two years out. Um, so, and how's the skin itself? The skin's really good. Again, completely genetic lottery. And right, also right, right, I was right. at home like freakishly every day oiling my body. Like I had nothing else to do. You have to like 
understand that 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 was my like after like 22 weeks you said that was Mm -hmm. oh okay so you spent a good amount of time and when he said like bed rest basically you you weren't sitting or standing a lot because he asked you not to or because it wasn't comfortable both um because he asked me not to so basically what happened was for me it's it's called like cervical incompetency which is a little bit rude um sorry it was incompetent no that is rude yeah 100% rude it was like incompetent um basically and they don't really quite know why this happens um you know because I was pretty fit when I was going into my pregnancy like there was no risk factor other than the fact that I was gestating multiples um but basically what starts to happen is that my cervix started to thin out and dilate and so on real-time ultrasound if the way that I um, the way that I describe it is if you think about your cervix, like a wine cork and an upside down bottle of wine, if that wine cork starts to thin out and start to kind of have a V a little bit. So I was able to see my son's head, like coming down to that V. And I was like, Oh, that's not good. Like that's, that's not a good plan. Wait, like you could, like you can imagine it or you could, Oh, I was like, what? Yeah. Okay. Hell no. Okay, okay. No, no, no. <laughs> um, no, just on ultrasound, they, they, they showed me like how it was starting to thin out. And basically they want to, and the research is really limited about this. It's just like, they just want to play it as safe as they can. Um, sure. They just want to limit the amount of weight that, you know, like basically the time you spend in weight bearing um, so that the cervix has as little weight on it as possible. And, and I mean, I could feel, I could feel that pressure even when I was like chopping veggies sitting down. It was, wow. I've never felt like anything like that before or since. Um, so yeah. Did you feel like your bottom, bottom was kind of falling out type of situation? Yeah. Yeah. For folks out there who have, um, like a pelvic organ prolapse, it kind of feels like that, but it's just a little bit higher up and a little bit more sensitive. You just feel a sense of like constant pressure, almost like, almost like the highest tampon that's ever been up there is just like it inching its way out. Um, oh, that's not a good feeling. It's not great. It's not great. Especially when you add on the anxiety of like, I don't want to have my kids at, you know, 23, 24 weeks. Like that's very anxiety inducing. Um, but long story short, we made it to 36 weeks and at 36 weeks and three days, my daughter, um, basically stopped growing. She was ready for lunch. She was ready to like come out and get some, get some food in her. So I was induced and I ended up delivering two out two days later. Um, okay. And it was a vaginal delivery for both of them, which was wild and interesting and cool. And I'm grateful that that was able to happen. And, uh, the, now, now they're just, you know, my kiddos, (laughs) Now, now they're out. In the, did you, the did you choose to have an epidural? I did. Yeah, I did. I, yeah, me uh, too. <laughs> okay. So this is one of the things that I was, you know, so as a pelvic floor therapist prior to being, 
pregnant and birthing. I was very anti-epidural. And I'm going to say up front that I was wrong. Um, like, but, but you don't know until you know. And, and the reason for that was because I was like, oh, you know, you really want to be able to feel the pushes from a pelvic floor perspective, right? Like you want to be able to feel your body, your body's rhythm of like when to push, when not to push, blah, blah, blah. Right. But then like, shit hits the fan, right? Like I needed to be induced because my kid's life depended on it. And I was laying down for 31 hours that I was in labor and I got to seven centimeters and I could just feel my body frying to, Mm. you know, like I just, I knew that I was not going to be able to have the physical strength. And I was pretty deconditioned at that point. Um, I was not going to have the physical strength to get these kiddos out of my body if I didn't have some support and some rest. And so the deal I had cut with my OBs and my provider team was that I allowed them to place the epidural because when you have multiples, there's such a high risk of C-section that even if you're planning on having a vaginal delivery, you, you deliver in the OR and you have to have an epidural at least placed because you need to be ready ah. for section at any time. Right, um, right, right. Right. So, and it's just, a, it's a very different mindset of like safety first, like no messing around safety first. So I had had an epidural placed um, pretty early into my labor. And that was really nice because I was able to labor for as long as I wanted to. And I got to seven centimeters. I think at that point I had been in labor for 24 hours and I was like, wow, nope. Like my body is done. I'm frying. Like I need support. I was just basically screaming. I, I want drugs and I love drugs. Very classy. <laughs> <laughs> it's really so cool. Um, so amazing. Yeah. And, um, and I, and I got it and I was so grateful I did. And I truly believe there was no other way that I could have, delivered the way I was able to deliver, um, without the epidural. And now I, again, it's like one of those things I'm so grateful for because I feel like I'm so much more able to listen to my clients in front of me and just be like, yeah, you want your epidural? Like that'll reduce your anxiety or that will just make this process more comfortable. Like, cool. Like that's okay. You know, like there's nothing that I feel like what my whole birth process really taught me is that this isn't like an honor game. This isn't about being like high and mighty or doing everything the quote unquote right way. This is about like being safe and also like emotionally safe. And Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, big time. Yeah. Just kind of like meeting yourself where you're at and being honest around your own needs and the needs of like you and your, your baby or babies as a team and like going with that. You know, what's the worst is when you're already having a hard time with your decisions and then other women judge you. It's like trash. The worst. No, it's a garbage fire floating down the river. Truly. In a flood. It's terrible. Yeah. It's like, what are people thinking? It's already hard enough. All these decisions are already hard enough. And then you have friends, family, strangers judging you. I hate that. It's not hate it. Hate it. <laughs> it's terrible. It's awful. And the birth world is so full of it. And I think it comes from a good place, but it's not serving us. Um, no, it is not. It's not. And I really just feel like, yeah, birthing person first, like 
and, and then, you know, and then like you have your kiddo and it's like, you know, I was working with someone this morning and she's newly postpartum and she was like, oh, they say like 12 hours of sleep by 12 weeks. And I was like, that's trash. That's totally like, I can tell you from having two babies, I am the same parent for both babies. One slept through the night since she was like two months old. The other one still wakes up at like 5.30 a.m. calling my name. Like, they're just, it's kind of like, it's just the kid you get. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you just got to parent the child in front of you. Like, I mean, yeah, the judgment's off the off the map, but I'm not even, you know, my child's not even in school yet. I can't even wait (laughs) for what that is, because so many of my adult women students are moms. Right. Mm -hmm. And they just, you know, their kids getting bullied at school. I'm like, oh, my God, I will. I will burn the. I will burn the town down, <laughs> you know, if I have to. But, you know, my child, I think because I wasn't sleeping full nights when I was pregnant either. I think that I had I had actually figured out how long I had gone without eight hours straight of sleep. <laughs> and it, it was something like it was something like two and a half years or something. Oh, man. Yeah. And I have one, but she doesn't. She sleeps through the night now, but man, it took her till she was basically two. Take some kids a while. Yeah. Like, and other uh, other parents are like, oh, my kid sleeps through the night. They're very young. And I'm like, I don't know who that is. But I, I think. I don't know. It's not me. Yeah. But that's the thing. It's like, it's, it's just not your kid. It's nothing you're doing. Like, truly, that's the best thing about having multiples that are like, they are such different humans. My two kids, like Mm. it's, it's, it's not about you. Like, I'm sure you did a great job. And if you had, you know, like a different variation of a kiddo, they would have slept through the night. Great. Yeah. You know, like, but like you have your awesome kiddo and she took her time and that's cool too. Like it is what it is. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, I could just give you props for having, are you, are you, are you done? Are you open-minded or? Listen, the vasectomy has been had. Oh. (laughs) We are done. We're done. So I I think. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, yeah, no. Um, My husband's in a PhD program right now. Like my career feels in a really exciting, beautiful place of growth. And I, yeah, I, I think we're, we're good. (laughs) Like our family feels very complete. So we are, we are done. Thank you so much to Dr. Kate for being here. And we're actually going to hear from her next week. This is a two-parter with Dr. Kate. She's going to talk all about eating disorders and her experience. So thanks so much for being here. If you'll check out the show notes, check my website out. There's a lot of free resources there, including the mini course by Wrap Your Head Around Silks. You can always find me on Instagram at CarrieWee1 and on Twitter at Carrie underscore we. I'd love to hear from you. Leave me a review or an email. My email's down in the show notes. And honor me with a five-star rating and review anywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks so much to Asa Watkins for post-production. And thank you to you guys for listening. This is the Expecting Aerialist Podcast. Bye.